meet Chris Parker. Getting ready for the greatest night of her life. Hi. I gotta cancel. Now she's stuck babysitting the Anderson kids. Sarah. Mom got Chris to babysit for me. Chris? Her brother Brad. Oh my. His best friend Daryl. Who is this kid? Stray dog. Take good care of my baby. I'll guard her with my life. What could possibly go wrong? Chris, I'm in trouble. Hang up and sit down. I'll be there in half an hour. This is the night when things go from bad to worse. Big city, scum sucker. Too ridiculous. Wanna go to bed? Hey, I like that. You should try babysitting. And this is only the beginning. The friend is dead. Chris can handle it. Sarah's probably hanging from the rafters by now. Sarah, hold on! I'm still in control here. <laughs> you could say they were having a bad night. Any problems? No, not really. If they weren't having such a good time. Adventures in babysitting. Did you cancel ever ask me to babysit again? If they do, I'd ask them for a buck more an hour. But that's a, definitely a holiday party her parents or, or the kid's parents are going it to. It right? seems like, like it. But watching it this time, like, I don't see any Christmas anywhere. Yeah, like, it's I, a, it's I a asked, good point. Yeah, like, I asked I, the I, family I what, what month they thought this took place. And they're like, oh, probably like late January. <laughs> I, like, I mean, it does. It could be like it. It, yeah. it certainly seems like maybe it's post. I don't know. It's a good question. It's One, either like, cause, cause there's no like Christmas decorations go up at this point, you know, in the eighties, they were doing it after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. They'd have been everywhere. So they'd have been everywhere. So it's either like mid November or January. Well, Whoops. it's definitely cold, right? Yeah, Cause they're like cold. hanging out by the fire bucket. And, yeah. You know, like you don't need that in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there uh, isn't snow on the ground. I thought no, there, I, I know. I was there just is, trying to think. I think there is in the beginning. Cause I, my all right well i guess maybe i know now i you know shit i don't know don't know okay give me one second i mean it did come out in july right so like it would be weird to drop so to die hard a holiday yeah but you know where that sits (laughs) in the pantheon that that later was culted into a christmas movie <laughs> culted well november is all wrapped up and we are headed straight towards the holiday season welcome to uh welcome to a new episode of reconsinimation i'm john diner i'm david munchak i'm brett hutchins and this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s 80s and 90s and we're looking at one today that is maybe not a a christmas movie but it's it's you know, in that area, and we're we're heading towards the holidays. So we we usually start from less holiday flavor to more holiday flavor, and uh, we are looking back 
at Adventures in Babysitting. All right. Is it a is it a holiday movie? I don't know. I think. Well, there's there's I think there's snow in the beginning. Somebody out there, one of our reconsider mites, reconsider. Recons- yeah. Maniacs. Recons- yeah, Maniacs. Yes, thank right. you. One of our Reconsinomaniacs will call it out for us if, if we're wrong. But I, I seem to remember <laughs> snow in that. In I the, feel like there's snow in the beginning. Yeah, but, in, but in the opening scene, right? It's definitely gray, right? It's definitely gray, yeah. I feel like it's probably getting mixed up with Home Alone, but I don't know. I, and maybe it's the music, you know, the opening song, I think is the same one from the opening of Gremlins that, and, and because it's a, I guess, more of a wintry movie than a holiday movie. I always just associated this one with, with Christmas. Maybe that's just me, but. She looks at a toy store display. I think that kind of triggers a, like this idea. She'd be into walking at toys because, well, sure. you know, it's Christmas time. Yeah. And they're, all, and, and they're all wearing like heavy coats and stuff. Right? Yeah. It's so, definitely I mean, it's, winter. It's winter. definitely, there's definitely a chill in the air. Yeah. There's a chill in the air, yeah. And that party where where the parents go, I always also thought that was a Christmas party. But watching it this time, like me, there's actually no direct indication of Christmas. There. No. no, I always thought it was a holiday party. As yeah, well, but yeah, no indication of any holiday at all. So it's an almost Christmas uh, movie here at Reconsideration. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna put it in. It's yeah, we're gonna put it in the in the in the holiday movie pile. Yeah, but we're but we're going from we just we just finished looking back at Noirvember and we looked at Double Indemnity, we looked at L.A. Confidential. So we had, you know, film noir in general is a very heavy genre or subgenre. Now we're going the opposite direction to the kind of the the lightest of lighthearted '80s comedies uh, with adventures and babysitting. Are are you ready to switch gears, guys? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's time. Let's, it was too dark. November yeah. was too dark. Now we just got to lighten it all up. Yeah, let's just, you know, let's let's get lighthearted for the holidays. I think that's <laughs> the right approach to take. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what what's uh, what, when was the first time uh, you guys saw this? Brent, when, when did Adventures in Babysitting hit your radar? Did you see it in the theater or home video? Oh, I saw it in the theater. Family, family wow. movie day. Went and saw this one in the theater. Um, I feel like in 1987, I may have lived at the theater going back and <laughs> seeing some of the other movies from from uh, the list while researching this movie. But yeah, definitely saw this one in the theater. Whole family went. Um, I remember leaving and everybody had a really good time. They loved it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was uh, just one of those, you know, we went to movies fairly regularly, but but uh, not always as a full family, but this one was one that we all caught together. Huh. Wow. Yeah, nice, nice. David, what about you? I don't remember. Um, I, I, I could have easily seen this in the theater with my siblings. Uh, I feel like I might have, but I can't, I don't have a distinct memory of it. And then I'm, but I do remember seeing it on uh, television uh, <laughs> like, you know, the, the Saturday afternoon movie or Sunday oh. afternoon movie. Or, you know, whatever, something like that. Like it, it was on. I felt like I'd seen so I th- this uh, a number of times. So was it was it like still a recent movie, you think, when you saw it on? What was it like? Channel 11? 
Yeah, like a Channel 11. Uh, was that, would that be, local. remind me, was that, did you get WPIX? Was I that? Did, yeah, I yeah, did get nice. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like uh, it'd be on one of those stations. I, I definitely remember seeing it a bunch, and I didn't own it or, you know, like I, I wasn't running out and renting it every weekend. You weren't, you wait, you weren't renting it I, every I, weekend? I wasn't. <laughs> Unlike some people on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> me um, what are you talking about <laughs> no uh I, I i did not catch this in the theaters i i don't think 87 yeah i was i was going to the theater quite a bit but i didn't see this one there uh this was was one that my dad rented on on his way home from work on a friday night so it was it was stop off at uh at either camel video or movies one to pick up a movie and then get a pizza you know kind of a perfect Friday night for a kid. Uh, but that was a Friday night tradition for quite some time, mostly like the, the entirety of the late 80s, I feel like. But we saw, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. We saw um, this movie. We saw Ernest Goes to Camp, like just all a lot of family movies. Uh, not Big Trouble in Little China isn't really a family movie, but it was fun nonetheless. Uh, so we, we saw a bunch of those, uh, in the late eighties. So that, that was a fun, good times, good, good memories. Um, for, for those who maybe haven't seen adventures in babysitting in, in a little while, which may be, you know, quite a number of people listening. I don't know if it's how popular the film is a, a, anymore. It was for some time. It felt like it became a little bit of a cult movie, um, with how much people loved it. And then it's kind of gone off the radar again, but, um, David, can you can you sum up uh, what's what's happening in Adventures in Babysitting? You know, Adventures in Babysitting is this comedy where we follow Chris, who uh, is a, a a senior in high school, and her boyfriend cancels a romantic evening, so she's free to babysit one of her regular clients, and uh, and then in the midst of the evening, her best friend calls her and needs her help, so she has to drag the kids with her into the city to save her friend. Uh, and they get into some hijinks with jazz musicians, mobsters, uh, and a whole range of things. Thor. Thor himself. Yeah. Crossing over. Uh, yeah. So it's, it, it's quite an adventure for everyone involved. This movie, I have... I have a lot of feelings about this movie, watching it, it, it this time. It, it just really brought up for me that like 19, that, that 80s bubble that, that just existed of these movies that are just wackiness and these crazy scenarios that mostly involving kids, you know, um, that just, it's its own like sense of reality. Did that, that, how do you guys feel about the, you know, this is an 80s movie? I agree, though. It definitely has that kind of, I don't know, childlike innocence bubble that a lot of the 80s movies of, like, uh, that I highly regarded and still highly regard, uh, you know, had or displayed or, or you know, kind of um, exuded. So I think that it fits into that uh, pretty, pretty squarely. Yeah, like movies like this and License to Drive and, and uh, you know, they just like kids in these very dangerous situations that spun another way could be a very dark movie. 
but it sure. just kept so light and, and lighthearted. I don't know if it was like had to do with culturally what was going on with like Reagan and and shielding yourselves from like reality, you know, like mm. separating maybe it's class, maybe it's money, um, just separating from what's like really going on like this does these don't feel like real people <laughs> you know they don't feel like real people this wouldn't really be happening it's just this kind of fairy tale almost i don't want to discount the experiences of of people who live in the suburbs but you know <laughs> they can i think they can have pretty interesting lives is that is that your like are you saying like it's like the, what the movie's portraying is just even their life and yeah the suburb is not yeah, I think it's a commentary on that too, a little bit that that you know suburban lifestyle is so like I grew up in the suburbs and going down to the New York City was like very daunting, sure, <laughs> and very intimidating, and everything was scary. The buildings were tall and scary. It was it was you fast know, and loud. Yeah, and everybody walking by was dangerous. Whether you know whether mm-hmm. that People was talking also, to themselves in the streets and you were it like, was new york in the 80s too but <laughs> so this movie portrays that same thought that you go from the suburbs which is nice and peaceful then you go to the dangerous city because the that the city is fraught with danger like throughout for, for these kids yeah and these kids with no experience have to navigate it yeah so it's i mean it's very like uh i think it touches just on like the yes the ignorance of living in a in a town like versus a, a, in the city uh you know white suburban life would but it was a, is a, is and was a real thing you know the whites fled the cities yeah uh, uh madman style uh you know what i mean they, yeah yeah they, uh you know chris columbus who directed it i'm you know i'm the, the kind of kid-friendly fair that he makes it seems like maybe he did too (laughs) i don't know yeah um do you feel well let's compare this to a ferris bueller's day off you feel like this was influenced by that uh yeah yeah i guess so yeah i mean it definitely it definitely feels uh very influenced it's very john hughesian yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um this is probably one of the most john hughes movies uh of of that time frame that wasn't actually done by john hughes (laughs) exactly yeah so yeah i mean i think it definitely shares uh kind of uh it's a it's a cousin to sort of those type of movies uh without a doubt like Mm -hmm. it, it feels very influenced by a lot of the the hughes uh 80s movies it does it really does feel like a John Hughes movie and and watch and watching it this time I hadn't thought about this movie in in quite some time I actually thought he did produce this movie well it makes sense I mean it happens in Chicago I mean it's like there's so many things that are like John Hughes tropes that that are present here yeah and Hughes would you know within a few years would work with Chris Columbus so Mm -hmm. um there's there's a relationship there but so it was shocking for me to see Hugh's name not in the credits uh watching it but but um yeah it does feel you know john let's just talk about john hughes even though this isn't a hughes movie for a second we've talked about him before on the podcast and how sort of divisive his work is now that there's some things that are really that continue to hit home there's things about breakfast club that hit home planes trains and automobiles i think is a great film 
Uh, but some of his, you know, the the material he has in his scripts, like, age very poorly, are are fairly sexist. Um, so it's it's a it's a mix, and you know, he, at this point in time, he was almost kind of right around the peak of his career. So all these, I think, you know, teen movies sort of relate to him and can compare or branch off of you know his style. Uh, and this is probably one of the ones that um, I guess were more popular at the time. Doesn't necessarily have the the depth of a you know some of the character work in Breakfast Club. Um, would probably go with more of his lighthearted stuff, like a like a weird science or something. Sure. But, well, I mean, uh, and I think I think Ferris Bueller is a great kind of comparison. Yeah. Yeah, kids off on their own, teens off on their own, uh, you know, just having a crazy experience. You know, Ferris Bueller is one over the course of one day. This is over the course of one night. So they could, you know, you could just link the movies. You know, if, if you, you could, I wish this had been a spinoff of Ferris Bueller. Then it would have been it's, perfect. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a combination of, you know, Ferris Bueller and Goonies and, you know, just uh, the the um, sort of group, uh, the 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 teenage group kind of traveling and going mm-hmm. on their adventure. Yeah, the Goonies has a lot more life threat. Like it feels like a little more realistic, life threatening peril going on than this. This is a little more silly, like peril that to me uh- at least. I don't know. I mean, you're talking about a bunch of kids spelunking under the city of Astoria, like hunting down a pirate ship. Seems pretty silly, but it's Fratellis, though. The Fratellis are like actual. I mean, I guess they're kind of nincompoops. I just want to say that word, but that's a good. I'm glad you threw it in there. <laughs> but they also are are uh, you know kind of menacing as well. Yeah, but so are the so are the like the chop shop. Uh, oh, the gangster guy! Oh, they, they no way. They. <laughs> I mean, but they, there's, you know, you, I, I feel like you can draw a connection between the Fratellis and them. Yeah, they don't true. play as big a, a big a part. Yeah, there's more, there's more like random human threat in Adventures in Babysitting than there is in Goonies. Goonies, it's strictly the Fratellis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and here you have other like unknowns you know that come in like like the the you know every human interaction they come across at some point is is until proven otherwise could be a a threat you know and i think they i think they play that up right like there's the guy stealing the car there's the guy that's helping them with with their blown out tire there's thor i mean it's just Mm -hmm. like every every person they run into is possibly like a problem right (laughs) so um but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think there's there's parallels, which makes sense, honestly, because you know Chris Columbus is attached. Yeah. He's, he's, this, he's this is a newer light teen fair without. It's like it's a family. It's a family movie, really. Before it's like a teen movie, right? Even yeah, about teens. Yeah, that I think that's like we were saying earlier that that it's it could be a lot darker. You could do a very dark version of this movie. Sure. 
Yeah, but who'd yeah, and who'd who'd want to see that? But <laughs> nobody, nobody. <laughs> right. But like a movie like this, uh, begotten by Ferris Bueller, you know, this movie begets like license to drive, right? Mm-hmm. Like teens on a one night adventure because they don't have a license, <laughs> and it's yeah, like, and it's great, yeah. great double feature, by the way. Yeah, I think that, I think these are like, like a solid pairing where it's like you know it'd be these two, and then that's when you have your pretty in pink and 16 candles pairing and it's like sort of two cuts of a slightly off generation mm-hmm. you know like well and i think the- that's what i think that's what's kind of great about kind of those chunk of movies in the 80s is that they kind of bridge the gap like i feel like you can be an adult and enjoy the movie you can be a child and enjoy the movie you know, like a Goonies or like mm-hmm. Adventures of Babysitting or or Ferris Bueller's or, I mean, you know, the list goes on. But I don't know if that's the same with like teen movies today. You know what I mean? And it could just be my perspective. Like, I'm not going to see a bunch of what's like... A teen, what's a teen movie these days? I know. Like, like is it I like mean, Harry Potter? Like Euphoria on HBO? Is that <laughs> yeah, like... uh, yeah. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, but like... That's I probably mean, the, the last one I can think of is like high school musical, but that's like 30 years ago. <laughs> so like, I have no idea, man. Like, that's what yeah. I'm saying though. I. Well, here, here's, here's, I was just thinking like comparing how John Hughes movies have aged versus how Chris Columbus's films have aged. There's a difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like Columbus's movies are, uh, really they're family movies like they're four families to watch and I think because they kind of stay away from the top some of the subjects that Hughes is addressing they have in a way a little longer of a shelf life just because like they're always going to be solid watchable family movies right mm-hmm. that don't you know that they stay surface level but they stay entertaining Hughes movies have you know there's there's stuff that they're dealing they're dealing with teen stuff and and he really spoke to that audience uh now because of that like some of it doesn't age very well and now that now that's working against those movies yeah i I haven't been i haven't seen it in a long time but i'm not sure how much uh weird science holds up today yeah like that (laughs) no like not and i and i i still think of it fondly but i'm like i'd probably be right cringing all like a lot like oh jesus you know well that's i, th- I think that's which is you know, fine we've we've talked about this before but you can't just like brush off those movies and and just give them you know i, I don't want to say cancel culture but you know you don't you can't just like brush them aside and never address them again because i think part of it is is to acknowledge what doesn't work about them anymore and yeah. i think you can well, well what is it what is it that doesn't work about them anymore you oh know, i like, mean well weird you'd science? Have to get... well weird science i understand like you know like... there's a lot of sexism yeah uh, issues in all of hughes movies almost all of them that yeah you know i the feel way like there's a lot treated... of whitewashing as well you know yep. but yeah but there's... i mean i also think like that's a little bit of a product of like the suburbs in the 80s or at least the perception of the suburbs sure movie. yeah you know, so yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I get it. I just, I haven't, you know, I haven't gone back and rewatched the John Hughes movie in a long time. Probably need to check it out just to see how how I feel about it. But I, like David said, you know, like Weird Science, I totally get why that wouldn't work 
in today, but I still have, I mean, I saw that one in the theater. I still have fond memories about that one. You know, like it was a lot of fun for the time. Um, but I get, yeah, like going back and rewatching this Adventures in Babysitting, like there wasn't anything that really stuck out to me that, that I think would be offensive to, to audiences today. Well, there's, I... there's one word that gets thrown out there, but we'll come to that a yeah. little later. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, that's the difference though, is that, is that Columbus is uh, staying away from that kind of material, right? Like he's just not gonna, he's not gonna go into the teen, go too deep into the teen issues. He's gonna stay with the fun, the adventure, the shenanigans that are going on, you know, and through that, that that's gonna be, the comedy is gonna come through there versus you know your teen almost like dr dramas that that hughes was dealing with like in breakfast club you know the the Al ali sheedy's character you know the fact that she can't be accepted until she changes who she is is a big problem now yeah it's it's like a real strike against i mean we didn't see it that way growing up but now looking at it like that's really sad <laughs> it's sad that she can't be who she is um, and she's going to change herself entirely to be accepted and then probably brushed off the next Monday. But <laughs> um, so I don't know. Anyway, th there are different levels of 80s teen movies. And this, uh, you know, this is on the lighter side. So let's talk about Chris Columbus, though. He um, this is his Adventures of Babysitting is Chris Columbus's directorial debut. Uh, he had been around for a few years. He he started writing when he was at the Tisch School of the Arts in New York. Um, he one of his teachers took one of his writing samples and used it to get Chris an agent, which was I think like him just doing writing and writing and writing was you know he credits that as like one of the best things he ever did. Uh, he directed a short in 1980 called "I Think I'm Gonna Like It Here," which I've I've not seen, but apparently Steven Spielberg did, and uh, really took a liking to to uh, Columbus. Um, Columbus wrote a movie called "Reckless" in 1984, which I think was I want to say was Daryl Hannah and Aidan Quinn. Um, I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. And then uh, Spielberg hired him to write uh, Gremlins, and we we actually talked a lot about gremlins you can check it out here in the archives at reconsideration.com uh, and that's really the beginning of columbus's career he goes directly from that into writing uh the goonies which we'll probably cover one day here uh big time favorite and young sherlock holmes both also for amblin entertainment and spielberg so you know a really kind of couldn't have had a better connection uh at that point in the 80s Right. Young Sherlock Holmes. That's another one. We should, we should look into doing that one at some point. I've never seen it. Is it even available? I don't know. Uh, I think it is. I have to figure out where, but I thought I saw it pop up recently on a streamer and I almost started watching it. That was one that I enjoyed as a kid, but I could not tell you for the life of me what happens in that movie. <laughs> the only thing I remember is that there's a kid who gets chased by stop motion eclairs. That's all interesting. Wait, yeah. which movie is I can this? I can tell Young you Sherlock Holmes. Oh. Okay. I can tell you two things about it. Sherlock yes. Holmes is in it and he's young. Isn't 
I have to get, yeah. Is that? Yes, yeah, there you that go. True? That's, that's. It's true. It's a fact. Your powers of deductive reasoning are strong. I, listen, like Sherlock I get Holmes. better. I get better with age. That's it. Yeah. You're giving Sherlock a run for his money. <laughs> um, but obviously Gremlins and Goonies, huge movies for our generation. Um, I love both of those movies so much. And Gremlins is a, a, a continuing Christmas classic for me uh, every year. Are they do wait, did Gremlins three happen? Wasn't that was it a Netflix series or movie that uh, I don't think I don't think it happened. It's a it was a Mogwai show, wasn't it? Did it come like out? Yeah. It like, did. What are you talking about? You're making yeah, shit up. There was right a now, there's a new Gremlins thing. Don't don't get David David get the researchers on it. Uh, I forget. No, maybe never, did, it, it has not happened. No, no. But it's there's no way I would have. There's no way oh, I would have missed that. Secrets of the Mogwai. Oh, yeah. I may not have. Yeah. Maybe it's not out yet. But I, it's been, been talked about for years. Oh, HBO. HBO oh, that's right. Yeah, because it was announced with the HBO Max. So it's coming. Um, and I guess now it's 2023. But it was Great. supposed to come out. Perfect. 2022. Um, either way, it's Gremlins uh, is is uh, so much fun. Prequel. This uh, that show is a prequel to Gremlins prequel interesting the mogwai who would be gizmo along with his his owner as a young man mm-hmm. okay great the shot like the shot the the like the pot, the old guy i think so shop guy yeah i think so sign me up i'm in yeah as long as gizmo doesn't do like a kung fu karate scene or i feel like the in the if that was made in the 80s there would have been some kind of like Karate fight, karate, or like an Indiana Jones reference or something. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but Goonies also was, uh, I to the, to me that was always my favorite like rain, rainy day movie. You know that that I loved Goonies so much, and um, it's also one that I find that only the people who saw it when they were kids love it. So strange. If you see it as an adult, those people all are like, nah, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get what the big deal is. Yeah. yeah. If you missed it, if like, if you were not a product of the eighties or, or nineties, it's yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hit, register, right? It doesn't hit. No, it's totally crazy to me because it's such a integral part of my like childhood movie consumption. You know that yeah. I, it, but I get it. I mean, I'm old now, so makes sense. But it's I, I've, I've, I don't know another movie that is so uh, on the, the polar opposites like that. You know, like yeah. like you're saying, like if you saw it in the '80s, you know, it, it not it even that. Like just seeing it as a kid. Yeah. No, I t- dude, I tried to show it to my kids recently. They're like, they, "What the hell are you showing me?" Dude? Yeah. So uh, two of my kids loved it. My my youngest son got got scared. Uh, I think the fatalities and you know sloth and just he had a hard time. But Columbus, you know, did such an amazing job, and, and also obviously Richard Donner, big part of that, um, of capturing that sense of wonder and adventure that kids have, you know, like, you know, I would 
get my group of friends together and we'd ride bikes like all the way across town over like train tracks and have you know just crazy stuff happen and not not to the extent of goonies by the way but <laughs> uh but you know and your your imagination's going and they did such a good job of capturing that in in reality and he's always been good at that i mean gremlins has that adventures in babysitting has that although much you know i i think do think a little bit uh more family friendly um whereas goonies does kind of lean a little more into the like maybe teenage years also but um well it's funny because adventures in babysitting when it came out was what released or or distributed by touchstone is that right yeah, yeah. which is owned by disney and so like this was the first like major release by like a disney distribution company that was pg-13 and like in the original release like if you watch it now on on Disney plus on Disney streamer. Yeah. Then, then like all the words it's, it's the PG version. Like they've yeah. taken out the curse words and stuff like that. Yeah. But when we saw it in the theater or back in the day, like it had curse words and it was a little bit like kind of edgy. pushing Leah edgy. That's a good way to put it. Like pushing the envelope a little bit more. Um, so like, it's interesting that you say that because I, I feel like they're comparable, but there's been, you know, like the re the 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 editing and kind of the re-release of of Adventures in Babysitting is kind of um, you know, cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah, and makes it even lighter and just really pushes it into the the family film category. Right, right. Um, I did watch it on the streamer uh and no, so, you know, saw here. that to see all the changes uh, but i and i hated that they you know they had to edit the greatest the greatest line of oh, i know dude <laughs> which but, was don't fuck with the lords of hell yeah! don't fuck with the babysitter oh. <laughs> yeah damn what do they just... change it to because i watched the dvd and that that's the yeah same as theatrical but what, what do they change it to don't screw with. Don't mess don't, with. Don't fool with. Don't, yeah, don't fool, fool with. with. Yeah, don't fool with. Don't fool. Don't with. flip with the babysitter. Don't flip. Don't flapjack with the babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, guys. The TV. <laughs> it was pretty, uh... It's pretty egregious though, and I was like, kind of. I mean, I get it because it's Disney streamer, but like, yeah. It's annoying. It's, it's annoying a, when when things are censored. Like I just, it's you know, I it's almost know. as good as the TV version of of Die Hard with Yippie Kaye, Mr. Falco. Right, Yippie yeah. Kaye, Mr. Falco. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know how this movie came to be. It was uh, it was written by uh, David Simpkins, who actually plays one of the frat guys who mistakes. Uh, Elizabeth Shue for the uh, the playmate. Is he the He's... blonde curly-haired haired one? No. Or is he, okay. The one with the glasses and the hat. Gotcha. That that's makes da sense. Yeah, that's David Simpkins. So he wrote it uh, very quickly, pitched it all over town, was, you know, bouncing from studio to studio. Uh, Linda Opst and our, our very, uh, one of our favorite producers, Deborah Hill, actually uh, took it in and, and moved uh, forward with it over to Paramount. And their their intern, who is a uh, 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 was Stacy Share, who became one of the 
top independent producers, I think ever through like, you know, their Miramax world and the, the, throughout the nineties and beyond. Um, she was an intern at their company and was the one who was like, Hey guys, you should, you should read this script like this, this has some legs. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> some heavyweights involved here. And, uh, it was, you know, Deborah Hill. So we've talked about Deborah Hill many times on this show was partnered with John Carpenter for the early part of his career was a big part of the, the, uh, you know, a lot of his movies didn't have the early success, but definitely had long-term success. So Halloween, right. The Fog, The Thing, um, Escape from New York, he, she was involved with all of those. And, and uh, but by this point, uh, they had both walked away from the Halloween franchise. If you want to hear us talk about that, you can listen to our <laughs> podcasts in the archives where we talk about Halloween 4, Halloween Shameless. 5, we get Shameless. into all of it. Um, just if you have extra time. Uh, but so, yeah, so she's, you know, turned a corner in her career is trying to move away from the horror genre and separate from Carpenter and do her own thing. And you couldn't be more separate than by doing this movie. Right. Yeah. So they, uh, and, and at this point, the script, there was a heist plot line that was more of what was happening in the city that they got tied up in some some robbery, like an Ocean's Eleven style kind of uh, theft. Was that was that the original take on the on the chop shop people? Was, yeah, I think so. Was a heist. Yeah. Oh, yep. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, but um, so they they had written this script for Molly Ring Ringwald to uh, star in, but she apparently turned it down pretty quickly. You know, she was. Would you say she was the top? you know, teenage actress of the eighties during this time. Yeah. Yeah. Had to be right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, she's breakfast club, 16 candles, pretty in pink. Uh, the pickup artist was that, yeah, I think of the pickup artist with Robert Downey, but, uh, yep. yeah, just like hit after hit. And you know, she was, she was everywhere, but very quickly said no to this one. Oh, cool. So paramount had them, uh, starting to rework the script for an older and like an older actress, like out of the teenage years, Bette Midler and Cher were two of the names that they were trying to get attached to this movie. Now it's hot garbage. That's hot garbage. So that's, the babysitter, yeah. the that's babysitter like the could have been Cher. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Like I Cher know. could do huh. Moonstruck or she could do <laughs> adventures in babysitting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, I like it when you hear I like it when you hear about all the shit they throw at the wall and you're like, man, that doesn't make any kind of sense. I wonder yeah. if that person I wonder how long that person worked in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, eventually Paramount uh, decided to move on and the movie got repitched over a touchstone. And that's that's when it started to pick up steam again. Um, Valerie Bertinelli and Phoebe Cates both read for the, uh, the role of Chris, which would have been interesting. I could, I could see either one of them doing it. Phoebe Cates was pretty, you know, was pretty high on the, on the food chain at this point. Also having worked in with Columbus on gremlins, but the role eventually went to Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth now, Shoe. I don't think we've talked about Elizabeth Shue on, on reconsidimation before, have we? Hmm. Where would she have come up? I don't think so. Yeah, I know. I, I 
don't think she's made an appearance. So welcome to the show, Elizabeth Shue. Overdue. Long overdue. I mean, I feel like she was greatly underappreciated over time. Yeah. She's been in so many good things. And um, I feel like she's just started to kind of reappear uh, recently. She's been busy. Yeah, I think she's, I think she also doing. fell into that. You know, we've talked about it before that uh, became a victim of that. Unfortunately, a lot of actresses, uh, there's sort of there was for a long time, a, a sort of a stigma against using them when they hit a certain age that, you know, they had to be young, they had to look young, 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 or, you know, skip, whatever, and then they would be like grandma role. Mm. Or age, at least. Now, thankfully, that's changing. But I think a lot of it act, you know, we talked about it with Kim Basinger in, in our last episode, um, that mean, they kind of disappear for a while after they hit, what, 40? Then it's kind of like, you know, they like the the options that they're given are, are just not very much. You know, again, that's, that's changed uh, all for the better. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't seen her. I mean, she kept popping up here and there, but I hadn't, like, she's always kind of been, uh, I feel like when she pops up, it's always really exciting, right? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, when she was in, Co like, she popped up in Cobra Kai, like, season two or three, and that was three, awesome. Yeah. But, like, I kind of lost track of her until she showed up in The Boys, right? Exactly, like, yeah. So the last thing was, I remember seeing her was was the Hollow Man, which was like two thousand, and then yeah. not much for quite some time. She had a couple things that she did, like you know, I, I feel like was that um, like I Piranha three D, you know, but that that's again like one of those kind of like <laughs> yeah, can't be like she shows up as a cult like kind of fan favorite. Um, yeah, but she, not anything she, big. She had steady work, though. I mean, she worked almost. Yeah. Every, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, it's just it wasn't. She wasn't showing up and start making vehicles, and you know, she yeah. So, but but she was on CSI for three seasons. I mean, which that's a was lot. She that, really. Yeah. <laughs> what year? Two thousand twelve to twelve to twenty fifteen. So, seventy one episodes. Yeah. So well, we'll she's, yeah, so she's, if you're not watching CSI. <laughs> Well, like other than that, I mean, people just do. You know, lots of it's films not these that were not <laughs> big, big movies, but I, yeah. uh, but, but she had such a great track record. I mean, start, I, I think it started with Karate Kid really was her first big movie. Um, and then she's got this and then she's got back to the future too. Right. Yep. And three. Yeah. Well, two and three. Yeah. She's in three. She's kind of in three. She's don't Technically in it, but yeah, yeah. You don't forget cocktail, man. Cocktail was cocktail. a big, big deal that came out in 88. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, she definitely like she turned down karate kid to, to do this movie. Right. And so I'm pretty sure the timing matches. So, I mean, I was reading some stuff where like, she basically like chase, oh. well, she chased this role down. Like she wanted this role. Cause like, in 86, when they were casting this thing, like there weren't a lot of roles, like lead roles for for actresses like her age, you know? Yeah. And so like most people were playing like, you know, the love interest or, or whatever. And this was like, this was like 
she was top bill you know i mean she yep. was like the number one thing on this on this movie yeah she want to be daniel's girlfriend or does she want to start well especially life? in two in karate kid two like her role what would it have been should she just be in the beginning or She'd just be they... in the beginning and maybe the end i mean I, I i never liked how they kind of wrote her character off it felt like they were angry at her it, it just felt like a, a writer yeah, and felt... director being pissed off that she said no to the movie because they just they do no justice to her character that she just ditches danny you know like high school love interest man yeah yeah shit happens a lot <laughs> but uh they, they finally made up for it in uh, season three of cobra kai you're right yeah it was so awesome to see her back in it yeah but but nonetheless i mean so she went from she did do link too i don't know if you guys saw link but that was no. that was like uh about so there was do you remember the movie project x of course matthew brought i think matthew broderick yeah mm-hmm. so that was like the nice monkey movie link <laughs> was the mean monkey movie <laughs> Like oh, it was okay. like the horror version of Project X. Oh no! Look at <laughs> oh, that poster. No. Yeah, but it was uh, I. You know, me being the kid that I was, I was all about it. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think many people know that movie. You loved Link. Huh? I did. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Brent's a Linkhead. I'm. We, we uh, yeah. figured it out. Yep. Um. But of course, like she's great in Soap Dish. That's another like cult kind of classic that i i think is a really great movie um of course you know you can't forget her probably her biggest dramatic role which was leaving las vegas i mean she was nominated for best actress for that um that was a huge movie for her and another another one that came out right after is called the trigger effect which was more of an indie film uh with kyle mclaughlin and dermot mulrooney really really good movie um that is yeah a lot of people haven't i saw in the theater uh really really good good film but then she went back to doing some big budget stuff like the saint and Mm -hmm. uh and hollow man and and um yeah so overall really like solid body of work for her uh yeah and but this is like this was really like her movie this out of all the movies this is Yeah, like this is her showcase. Totally. Um, let's talk about some of the other actors. Uh, there's a lot of sort of familiar faces in this and some who went on to, you know, have bigger careers and some who, you know, maybe didn't. Um, Keith Coogan, who plays, uh, oh God, what's, I forgot his name. Keith Brad. Coogan, who plays Brad. He plays Brad, yep. Was all over tv in the early and mid 80s like yeah pretty much if there was an 80s show on he made a guest guest shot on it um i don't think his movie career was as big but uh was definitely one of the more recognizable faces and i think he's great in this movie oh yeah he's very good i mean he did a couple other movies where he's also good but like yeah it never really took off but I like Toy Soldiers. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Like right, Toy Soldiers. Great. I forgot he's in that. Yeah, dude, he's like the lead in Toy Soldiers. He's fantastic. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, his movie career never really took off. But he was really good in this. Yeah, and then we've got uh, Anthony Rapp as as what's uh oh god I forgot his character name too. Uh, uh, Daryl. Daryl. Yeah. Anthony yeah. Rapp as Daryl. 
And this is like Anthony Rapp looks like you unrecognizable here. I'm just younger. Yeah. He's got the red hair as opposed to the almost white blonde hair that we'd know him for the rest of his career. Yeah. And um, we I, did talk about him in our Dazed and Confused episode. This is the first movie he did, right? So like this is this was his first acting gig. Yeah. Um, he was in more stuff than I realized. I didn't really like school. I didn't I forgot he was in school ties or I knew he was in Dazed and Confused. That's where I recognize him in film for the right. first thing. Mm-hmm. And then I saw him on Broadway. He was part of the original cast of Rent. And so mm-hmm. I saw him on Broadway at the like and that was pretty awesome. But the I didn't, original run? Yeah, the original run. Yeah. No shit. Awesome. Back in back in uh the mid nineties, late nineties. Brent, you were a big rent fan when we uh when we yeah, first met. That's a good story. Good story. You're <laughs> never gonna hear me sing those songs again, but good story. I used to sing that soundtrack. I was like obsessed, man. Anybody who got in my car was forced to listen to a concert of me singing every fucking song. Oh, Jesus. I can vouch for that. To rent. Yeah. Everybody I was... <laughs> Oh, I'll, so I'll say crazy. I couldn't have been more surprised at that. Oh, dude. that I just met Brent, me, this New Yorker meeting Brent, this, this Texan who was, you know, not a stereotypical Texan, but when we got in the car, I did not expect rent to be the, all the show audio tunes, cassette all playing. Show tunes. Yeah. Yeah. I was obsessed with this. I was obsessed with this show, man. I really, it was, a, well, I mean, you know, when you're fortunate enough to see a show that is as well received as this one from the original cast on Broadway, like, you know, at that point in your life, it's pretty, you know, especially like I was a yeah. kid coming out of high school who did musical theater and did theater and choir and all sorts of stuff. I've since put my singing uh, in the rear view for now, just for now. Yeah, man. I was just in India for a work trip and we, uh, went over to one of our partners' houses, and they had a karaoke set up, and it was fun. Uh-oh. But they like made everybody sing a karaoke song. Oh Every, there was no getting out of the house. <laughs> it was like the scene in Adventures in Babysitting, where it's <laughs> like nobody leaves without singing the blues. And I was like, <laughs> everybody had to sing, even myself. And I was like, oh, this is bad. I don't like singing. <laughs> so embarrassed but you're great i wish i could have harnessed some of that uh <laughs> don't give a shit from from high school and, the rent and power college yeah anyway <laughs> um <clears throat> well and then anthony rapp uh currently is on star trek discovery uh and is fantastic on that show uh, uh agreed yeah I haven't seen it but i hear great things david's a big star trek discovery fan uh for the most part yeah it has its ups and downs but it t- that, that you can know, be a separate show it, it might have an, a massive up and then down all the way down yeah, so, all the way to the bottom oh no that's yeah. not good first two uh, seasons are wonderful though amazing and can't then, can't speak more highly yeah and then that's about it but uh uh maya bruton is uh is in the film and she is like again this is probably her biggest showcase uh as far as movies go but then we would all know her from parker lewis can't lose heck yeah yeah she was great on that which is a great show that has been lost to time there's got to be some kind of rights issue or something like it's 
doesn't stream anywhere. It never came out on DVD in all the years that TV was getting, you know, tossed out onto DVD. Um, yeah. That one never popped up. And I loved it. I was a huge Parker Lewis fan. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's oh. a great show. She was also in Back to the Future. Was she yes. really? Who was she in Back to the Future? She was like, she's at the dinner table in one of the scenes. She's like a niece or something like that. To Marty's niece. Oh my. All right. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. But wouldn't have crossed paths with Elizabeth Shue because she was in the nope. first one, right? She was she... in the first one. Yeah. 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 Uh, Penelope Ann Miller, who plays Brenda. Uh, I think this was the one of her first uh, movies that I at least recognize her from. I mean, she's the Brenda character is like, I she's, love Brenda. She's, <laughs> awesome. she's so over the top. Like, <laughs> I, she, I just every every time they just go back to her, and it's like I, I just love that. I just love how fun it is. It's, just, it's like her night. It's the worst night ever of just being a bus station. Yeah, it's like the worst bus station setup, and <laughs> and the, every corner she turns, it's like another like totally she, terrifying moment. You spiked your tab with Drano? No, I ran away from home. You what? Where are you? I'm at the bus station downtown. Brenda, look, just don't go anywhere. I can't. I don't have any money. I spent it all on the cab here. Chris, I need help. I know. You're in my house. If I take a cab to the Andersons, do you think you could pay for it? Oh, no, Brenda, that's going to be like $40. I don't have $40. Can you pick me up? No, Brenda, I'm babysitting. Chris, I can't call anybody else. My dad doesn't know. He'd kill me if he found out. Chris, I'm begging you. It's really scary here. I've just seen three people shoot up, a bald Chinese lady with no pants on, and there's this old guy outside who wants his bedroom slippers. Get out of my house! You just moved! Chris, please hurry up and get here. Brenda, I've got my mom's car. I can't drive it into the city. Oh, my God. There's a man with a gun. Get me the hell out of here. Brenda, look. Just hang up and sit down. Don't move. I'll be there in half an hour. Oh, please hurry. I think he's going to kill somebody. Maybe me. Brenda? Well, she's the MacGuffin, right? Like, because she's driving yeah. the story. And, yeah. and it's her. So we see her early in the movie with Chris, right? Where they talk about what, where she's going to, she's sort of she's threatened run away to run like away. She, she and hates her abusive parents. A couple <laughs> hours later, when, when Chris is now like in the middle of babysitting, she gets the call that Brenda's run Like she just went and did it immediately. Yeah. But, but, but like brought like three what, hours $20. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's like, I'm gonna run away, not prepared at all. Yeah, yeah. So I she's stuck in the train, the in the the uh, the train station or bus station was bus uh, bus, bus station. Yeah, yeah, bus station. The bus station in you know somewhere in Chicago. Well, they don't right. actually say the Chicago in the movie, do they? I don't think. They no, do. they don't actually say it it's Chicago, but it it is Chicago. It's yeah, it's rec it's recognizably Chicago. Although there are, having lived there 
almost every shot like from the city if it's like showing like sort of a landscape of of buildings or or uh skyline or it's completely inaccurate like they like they <laughs> they composited in the trains like the first shot where they get to the city and the, that's there's funny. trains in front of the i forget the name of that building with the slant on it but that's that doesn't that never existed there's no that's not how it's shot. Ah, interesting and then when they leave the city it's the same thing there's like a, it's like some sort of weird composite shot so they it's like they 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 retooled the city of Chicago they retooled for, for their establishing uh-huh. shots that's funny it was really funny <laughs> but the then, brenda character i mean that's especially where you could get really dark with this movie right right like right she's yeah. getting harassed by some madman with a gun who's chasing <laughs> her around the bus station and it's played for laughs the guy the guy <laughs> motions to her while she's on the phone in the phone booth and he's pointing to his gun like and smiling like yeah i got my gun <laughs> yeah, like, i got my gun over and over and it is hysterical <laughs> like i was laughing like an idiot because <laughs> it's well it's so ridiculous but obviously like it does this is such a totally different world that yeah that movie was right made like well that's what i mean of when i talk about 80s <laughs> these bubble movies like yeah. this scenario today would never be portrayed like this like this no. is harassment and attempted assault and uh, oh, yeah. maybe even actual assault and and uh, the, the list goes on but here it's comedy most yeah. places uh, an assault charge is a uh, a, a, a threat of violence yeah uh just yes so this would qualify yeah and the like mental emotional trauma that she's clearly going through and then on top of all that you know she loses her glasses she loses her glasses and i loved i love that like people who wore glasses back then like are just absolutely blind can't they don't see glasses like can't see at all. as though they're like and, which, yeah. and i got glasses when i was seven years old and i was like i mean it's probably a very weak prescription at the time but as my but I'm just like, even still, I can navigate without glasses. I'm yeah. not like feeling around. Running into walls. What's the <laughs> tripping downstairs, petting rats. But that's giant sewer rat bit. God, that <laughs> just yeah. got me. Her just sort of screeching and being in peril, this jokey peril. Uh, yeah, like you would totally do it differently. Uh, you, you couldn't do it this way. Uh, there's a big, like, we should start tracking the movies we're covering if there's an anti-glasses movement out there because it's a it's a thing in la confidential we didn't talk about it on that episode but there's definitely an anti-glasses plot plot point um (laughs) uh and and here as well so that's two in a row that's two in a row you're right jeez we'll have to try and uh i can tell you right now for the holiday film we're gonna cover hint hint there is definitely a glasses situation as well so there is that's gonna be three in a row soon uh anyway we'll save that for our next episode but yeah the brenda situation is just is just crazy and and penelope ann miller um i think would probably be more well known for carlito's way mm. oh really it? i was gonna i was gonna say kindergarten cop is probably the oh yeah kindergarten cop. that's right for. that's right yeah yeah um but also in a great movie that uh is going to be in our 2023 lineup called the shadow Ooh, uh, the shadow the shadow yes uh so that's coming uh she's in that and um there was one other one that was on the my brain but it's gone now um the freshman 
maybe oh oh the relic the relic oh the relic starring yeah. tom sizemore oh start starring tom sizemore you got that's the title the relic the tom sizemore starring, starring the relic <laughs> i thought uh, he i thought he was in the mimic no you're switching him up well, all right yeah, the relic. A nineteen ninety seven. It's Michael Madsen and and the no, just kidding. <laughs> that's species. Oh yeah, that's species. Oh, there we go. Jesus, they're all the same, they're all, aren't they? They're all there. All the stars are there. The mimics relic species. Uh but yeah, she's uh playing very over the top here. Uh Bradley Whitford. Now, this was one of the I think earliest appearances that I can recall. Was he in um was he in Revenge of the Nerds? Oof. Some good trivia there. Let's get, there. Let's get an intern on that. Um Revenge of the Nerds, two. Two, right? It was two. Was he? He sure was. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Went That's back a good... in 87. Like same year. Same year. So, you know, he plays. So Bradley Whitford's had an amazing career. Great actor. Um, has played, he he is really good at playing the jerk sort of villain. Yeah. And this is this is, Best. I mean, knowing the kind of roles he, he plays, when you see him in the beginning, you kind of know it's coming. Well, right. I mean, in 87, you wouldn't have. But no. knowing knowing his any, knowing his later movies and any yeah. kind of track record he's had since, you'd probably make that jump I mean, to that conclusion. Billy Madison, come on. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, yeah. that's probably his most, I mean, for me, at least, that's his most recognizable uh kind of bad yeah. guy bad guy kind of jerk uh role as eric gordon you know and and billy madison so yeah but uh great actor and obviously had a, a great career on the west wing and and so many so many movies uh over the years but uh yeah uh what's his name mike right mike is is chris's boyfriend who right off the bat um is distancing himself from her which like, is right. he crazy? Like, what is he? What what's is he, he thinking? What's he thinking? Well, he Who he knows? blames it on a lack of her, you know, participation in things. Well, and is that his sister was sick and he didn't want to get? Well, that was the excuse. The excuse. Right? Like the, yeah. The the blame game came out later when she caught him in his in his lies. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, that yeah. she. Yes, she didn't want to do everything that he wanted to do with her. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, again, a smaller role for him very early in his career, but but well done, Bradley. Huh? Look, little girl, I don't know what you thought we had, but it wasn't half as serious as you like to think it was. All right, you let go over. Jeez, you're picking him kind of young, aren't you? This kid's got more class at 15 than you'll ever have. You're such a loser. Here we go again. I can only dream of having somebody like Chris for a girlfriend. But you've got her. And you treat her like this? Don't waste your time, half pint. Her legs are locked together at the knee. <laughs> I'd love to hit you. I'd love to pound on your face. Yeah? Go ahead. Uh, yes. And then we've got Vincent uh, D'Onofrio. Thor. 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 
Thor. Now, now we would all know him at this time from Full Metal Jacket. Well, which was it came out the same year. I don't know if we would know him. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, couldn't he couldn't look more different in, than in those two movies? No. They put that really terrible blonde wig on him in this. One. <laughs> they put that blonde wig, and he's like oiled up and definitely been working out. You know, this is probably the most fit we'd ever see him in his career. Well, right, but he put on he got so. I heard or I read an article where, you know, like he did this role and then went in to do uh, Full Metal Jacket. And like basically they made him gain a bunch of weight for Full Metal Jacket because he like really? showed up on the first day on the set and he was like jacked and he looked like he could beat the shit out of every other person <laughs> yeah. in Full Metal Jacket. They're like, that's not going to work for, for this. Yeah. You got to you got to bulk up, dude. Like you got to you got to get soft, man. <laughs> Like, come on. So that's so he like packed on packed on weights that he could play that role, which is probably I mean, for, you know, these are both kind of the same year. It's really his first two features that he did, you know, and I mean, that's one of the most iconic like scenes in, I mean, arguably film, right? Like, I mean, when you at least when you go back and talk about um stanley kubrick right so i mean that's oh for sure yeah so it's pretty crazy pretty crazy yeah this that's that's really kind of insane the same year coming out with those two movies again polar opposites couldn't yeah. be more different from each other but there's your through line vincent d'onofrio who again like bradley whitford has had a very long and healthy career um has had from what Law and Order he was on, or one of the Law and Order shows for years, he was in movies like Men in Black. He's in, now he's in the Marvel, the MCU, right? Well, yeah, he plays he oh, plays right. uh, uh, Kingpin. Kingpin, he's the yeah. Kingpin. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the Jurassic World, like you know, he's he's had a career that really uh, oh, had, yeah. had legs. He's massive, massive talent. Um, I read something else that the you know, the, the whole reason, like the whole Thor thing is, is because of uh, Maya Bruton or Sarah, her like kind of love for Thor, but originally that was supposed to be He-Man. Ah. Did you was read that? that? I, I, I read He-Man, which would have made sense. Yeah. He-Man was time. so huge. At the, yeah. He-Man was probably bigger than Thor. At He-Man this was point. way bigger than Thor. Like, yeah. like oh, yeah. Thor's huge now because of the MCU and everything, but like, when they dropped Thor in this, it was like kind of random, right? I mean, the comic book existed, but like that was kind of like a small niche yes. thing, you know, like it, definitely not at the level that it's at, at now. He-Man, though, at the time was massive. Like it was a very popular, like later that year, um, I mean, just the next month, I think, Masters of the Universe, the movie came out. And Which was so, a cinematic masterpiece. Well, <laughs> yep. Yeah, sure is. Um, arguably, maybe one of the worst movies ever, but like, <laughs> yeah. but still, like, I mean, it was a huge thing like that, yeah. that toy line and the, and, and everything yeah. was and the cartoon was massive at the time. But Christopher Columbus or Chris Columbus didn't like he didn't know what He-Man was. He was like, I'm not going to do what the hell is this? Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Let's do Thor. Not his age uh, bracket. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it was so weird to see 
a major Marvel character appear in a non Marvel related movie, you know, yeah. first uh, live action appearance of Thor. Yeah. And then the next one would have been, I think the TV movie of uh, like, was it the trial of the incredible Hulk or the incredible Hulk returns in 88? I, I think it's trial. He shows up. Yeah. Which I haven't seen since it aired and I forgot that there was some Thor character in it. Yeah. I don't Isn't remember. Daredevil Thor? in that too? I think Daredevil shows. Yeah. I don't remember. I, I, I haven't seen it in so long, but man, I remember when that came out and how the buzz like around it, coming out because like yeah. the the incredible hulk had been off the air for a while they just yeah. kept kind of dropping these the tv like movies tv yeah. movies yeah yep. movie of the week kind of things and this one was a big deal i mean at least for me because i was i was a fan of Dare. i didn't read many comics but the comics that i did read it was daredevil hmm. yeah so I, I i was not into thor i was not actually in a daredevil i was reading it, whatever marvel i was reading was i think captain america and spider-man yeah but thor was you know was one of the original like marvel legacy characters right but was just popularity wise was not that huge i mean in the 80s it was like it was all about spider-man from from uh, my memory spider-man and oh, then spider behind. yes yeah i mean well thor was an original avenger um and then i i don't really know if he was like in the golden age like pre-marvel when it was no i don't think so i think he came in with the avengers but yeah so he was he's i guess that would bring him in in the 60s then so yeah 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 early 60s but that's the thing like any uh, any use of a marvel character in anything at that time is so far departed from what marvel and the mcu and everything comic book movie and entertainment related has become like it was like it was really just barely a thing in in the 80s right yeah. like you had superman and you had batman that was come like coming right or had or had just dropped but like there wasn't a whole lot else now it's like now they're everywhere everybody's getting a movie squirrel girls getting a movie squirrel you know Girl. i mean it's like look out so, yeah, well, obviously the Mar the Marvel machine has become something totally different, and it has taken over, you know, the action blockbuster genre almost entirely. Yeah. But way back in '87, we'd get a nice little small role by Thor, uh, and that character—it's another character that is sort of um, looked at as frightening right when yeah. for, from the kids perspective i mean they they yeah, he's bad until he's good right when they you know they leave the the suburbs and go into the city and you know this it's always portrayed as menacing and scary and every person they interact with is threatening and menacing that you know they they blow a tire on the freeway and pull over and then a a um what you call it a what are they One called like a the tow truck driver pulls yeah. up oh. and you know they've just been talking about this scary story about a guy with a hook for a hand and of course he's got a hook for a hand and they're totally scared by him and then right when he, he kind of uh, you know they, they he wins their trust right and he's shows that he's just doing a kindness to them and he's helped their kids he knows their kids he's helping them out he <laughs> 
<laughs> like this bizarre subplot of his <laughs> random his woman is having an affair and he loses his mind and becomes the crazy guy that they were afraid of to begin with yeah uh and then they you know so he like takes them on this sidetrack to his house where he beats up the guy and is shooting at one of them and they get scared so they jump in the it's just the, a saturday night in the city john Saturday night in the city. They jump in the guy who's having the affair with his wife. They jump in his car to take off, but that car is in the process of getting stolen. So the guy stealing it, you know, takes them to the chop shop and where I don't think he's got as bad intentions as it seems, but, uh, you know, he leads them to the, probably the most dangerous of, of situations. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. They don't, they, they, yeah. He wasn't thinking about the bosses. Right. Not, not wanting no. some, yeah, some civilians knowing where all their crime is happening. Yeah. And then you get your sort of, I don't know, kind of stereotypical mafia type guys, you know, running things. And, um, and why are they after the kids? So they're, they like kind of lock them up, the kids escape. And then they're chasing them because they know where the chop shop is, right? Well, but more, but more so they have the the Playboy, which has information yeah. about their their right uh, their operations in Philadelphia. Right, they have evidence of it. Yeah. So they, there's a throwaway line that's ADR in that's like that book could get us all twenty years each or something like that. Like you know, so it's like they know they can get in a lot of trouble if that not only where their operation is, but what their plans are i get well yeah. probably because there's there's dealers down there right so it's the whole it's part of the network right right of, the, of their of their criminal activities so and then so so it becomes a chase movie it's already been a chase movie but it continues and that leads them directly into the blues club yeah now this is the scene right this is <laughs> this is the scene of the movie so the babysitting blues what is that was that tough for you guys to sit through because i can say it was for me it's the most cringeworthy part of hell the no movie. nope loved it <laughs> loved it in 87 love it now maybe it's my own hang-up that uh being forced to sing i can i can now speak in front of an audience but singing is like the most terrifying thing i ever did was my bar mitzvah because <laughs> a i'm speaking in front of an audience b i'm singing in front of that audience c i'm singing in a foreign language yeah. <laughs> so Fair. uh absolutely terrifying so maybe that's my own personal reaction to the the babysitting blues deal yeah i mean anybody with any kind of like a public speaking stage fright situation maybe it's uh maybe it's cringeworthy but i think it's pretty freaking awesome well, she loved it. Elizabeth. Nobody Shue. leaves without singing the blues. <laughs> like another one of my favorite lines from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew more about it. Like, where did, where did they come up with this scene? Frankly, like, where did like they, why is it like, it seems really random. I like, think it yeah. was a Chris Columbus thing because, Something. you know, Chicago setting it in Chicago was like the blue, you know, a blues yeah. bar has to be in it. Yeah. So they kind of came up with this idea. Because I think that I think David Simpkins, the writer, was like not into the didn't get this whole thing until the movie came out. And then he's like, ah, yeah, that totally works. Yeah. 
yeah it's a cute it's a cute little scene uh for what it's trying to do and i don't really yeah i don't know if i like it but it's, <laughs> it's cute <laughs> well elizabeth shu like loves it and said this was the most I think fun scene she ever filmed in her, in her career. It was probably That's a party. So that was probably oh, a yeah. party when they shot that. Like I think she was in the van. Yeah, like, I think part oh, of man. it was her age. You know, she's 23, 24 mm-hmm. and um, really just was having fun with this scene. It, it, you know, she w- really wanted to be in the party scene too, the the frat party. Mm. So huh. she I mean, she's in it, but she wanted to be part of the party. So you can see there's a there's a shot i think i think it's the first shot without like sort of their reaction shot where they're looking at the party where you can see her she's got like a baseball hat on like you can see her in the party oh really yeah oh weird that's Um, pretty hilarious (laughs) like now does the the babysitting blues does it does it take does it still feel like it fits in the movie or is it kind of distracting does it take you out of it it fits in this movie yeah yeah i think it's it's i think it's an easy it's easily you know you could i mean i guess if you see it for the very first time and you had no idea it might be like huh <laughs> like yeah, it's weird but, to go into a musical deal like right in the smack in the middle of the movie yeah but it sort of fits all the other wackiness that the uh i mean there's not really if there's a tinge of like slight insanity to every situation but it's it's all kind of plausible yeah i mean you you gotta you gotta find a way to stop the bad guys from getting to them so right you know like they gotta sing the blues everybody gotta sing the blues right yeah i mean it does It, it works and then we uh you know and then they end up landing at the same party in that that uh i can't remember what the name of that building is um but where the parents are yeah. coincidentally and they get chased through the building and and Maya Bruton is out on the side of the building like you know climbing the side of the building and that's oh which is just Every insane parents nightmare I was yeah. just like sitting there watching it I was like my kids are never gonna have a babysitter they're gonna come to me come with me to the yeah. to the company party because this is what happens with babysitters yeah, every time every there's time. no getting out of it it's just, did you find out about it or not? Exactly. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> so, you know, one thing that's, that jumped out to me watching it this time, another movie that would pair with this, a different tone, but also one we've covered here in the archives, After Hours. Uh, yeah. It's all one night, you know, hijinks after hijinks, you know, running from one kind of weird or dangerous situation into another coming across quirky characters left and right. Uh, they really, they feel like parallel movies after hours, which had come out in, I think 85, 86 and this coming out in, in 87. Yeah. They're, hmm. they share a DNA. They do. You know, one is Scorsese, one is Chris Columbus. So different yeah. tones, um, yeah. very, very different movies, but plot-wise, uh, very, you know, very similar. The the single day adventure movie. That's, always that's a great device. Stuff. Yeah, it's always yeah. good stuff. Everything it was popular. Around. It was yeah. a popular little. There was a there was a moment. There was a window there. 
It was all, it was all the rave. <laughs> Did it? Um, okay. Let's go back to Elizabeth Shue um, as Chris. So Elizabeth Shue is 23, 24 at this time playing. Chris is supposed to be what? 16. Seven. She can drive. So 17, maybe she says she's 17 and the... 17. So she's underage. Doesn't she, she doesn't say she's a senior. She's a senior, but she's 17. But she would still be 17, right? She could Most, be. Or 18. Or Most, one of the two. The general average would be turning 18 your senior year. Yeah. Yeah. So is it so depending weird? Depending on if she has a birthday in the first or second half of the year, though. Yeah. We don't. Unfortunately, we don't know that much about Chris. We don't know when her birthday is. <laughs> we didn't oh, no. get that in the movie. But this could this could put the, the, the but, movie right between. This could be like november 15th ish maybe i want to say you know well but i mean like but but her age is important because it makes this next part oh because more or less weird the the playboy situation is more or less weird it's still weird but like one's bad really bad and one's just like really weird so you know I i don't know yeah so i'm going i'm going with she's 18 okay yeah i mean we know you know she's 18 like yeah but she's so so now was that actually so in the there's a there's a subplot of you know multiple characters have seen this playboy right where or this adult magazine with there's a playmate that looks exactly like chris now was that elizabeth shoe in those pictures I don't know. At first, I thought no, and then they showed. They they finally showed a shot with her, and I'm like, I think that is her. When she's when there's the picture on the bus stop, I'm like, man, that looks an awful lot like her. But like, they never, you know, I don't feel like you ever really get a good like glimpse of what's going on in the magazine. I mean, it's like a centerfold shot or whatever that they keep pulling out, but it's always like kind of in passing, and you know, like I I don't know, you know. It, it's just it it came across as a little a little icky to me this time that we're I portraying agree. you know what is yeah, likely an student. underage person as a sexual object you know well, whether right. or not it's her That's, but it's riding that line right exactly right yeah there was less a stigma to to the set I mean look and like look there's a difference between seventeen and like and almost eighteen. Versus like I'm saying, say it's a good idea. Like ogling, I don't ogle uh, below thirty. Choose your words carefully. <laughs> yeah. here, David. But what I mean to say yeah. is, back then it was like, yeah, like she's practically they they always treated like women as as long as they were menstruating and had had a, had curves as like women. <laughs> it's like that's what the '80s was. It was like always about teen, you know. Yeah, it had to be a teen, but like. But it was like yeah. you figure 18, 19, but you know, even still she's 17 in this. So yeah, but that's I also uh, think in the 80s, people didn't like it wasn't. I just don't think people like thought about how weird some of this stuff was, right? Like yes, and, and now exactly like you don't walk through a day where you're like, oh, that's that doesn't seem that doesn't quite sit right, you know, but yeah. like in the eighties, like everybody was just kind of more like. It's ob- yeah, oblivious it was something that was to, to barely own. noted. Yeah. 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 But, but now. 
I don't know. It's not like when they show the magazine, they show any, I mean, she's not like naked in the magazine. I don't think she's just in like a provocative, like pose or whatever. Right. Yeah. But still it's the implication. And although, wait a minute, if we watched the G rated version of it, did they, was there actual? Oh, that's a good point. We did. We watched no, the, the, the one, the one on, on the DVD, at least there's not, there's not oh. nudity, but it's, you know, very like, I think she's wearing like a, uh, like a really like exposed. a boa, right? Like a yeah, like you don't He's see like anything, wrapped but up can, in like like yes. a jacket or feathers. I don't yeah. know, but like, yeah, it wouldn't be a shot you'd normally see. But right. it's, she's in the pose of it, and then but of course she's covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're not covered, and, but it's all implied. And all this stuff, it's like they they're so quick too because they're not trying to make it like being too right, being right, lewd right. about the imagery, you know. Right. Um. I don't know the uh, the woman. Maybe they did put her face in there. I don't. I doubt it's. Uh, I doubt she posed for those. I do think it was her. I think. I think. Um, you know, she's Elizabeth Shue, the actress. The human was not that age. She was older. I think she was. Uh, again, something probably just at the time having fun with. And I'm there sure are we can find this information. Yeah. <laughs> she was twenty four at the time. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess when it was released. So I'm I'm going off the assumption that it was her who shot those images. Could be, maybe. Um, Spending a lot of time on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, adults as the uh, as the enemy is sort of uh, another ongoing '80s uh, theme. I don't know if theme is the right word, but it's it's definitely something that pops up in many many of these teen movies. That it's the the uh, adults are either the flat out villains or they're just completely out of touch with uh, with their their kids. And I think you get both in this movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The parents are oblivious. And then I mean, but it has to be that way. Right. Like, I mean, like you're not going to have another kid be the villain and have it feel like it has as much, you know, weight or or. or something to it, you know? Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's just, you know, just something to note that that's, you know, with a teen movie comes, uh, this is the version of adults that you're going to get. Yeah. Well, I mean, in real life, the adults to kids are the disciplinarians. And, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, like, not me. It's easy. I'm it's the easy. cool, I'm the cool you're dad. The, you're the cool dad. The cool dad also with authority. Uh, and, Love says, and kindness, all of it. Says you. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, okay, so later on, we'll, we'll, we'll do box office glory in just a minute, but uh, the popularity of the movie leads to a pilot, uh, a TV pilot that was made, but never, I don't think it ever aired uh, in 1989. The it- it exists. It exists. Is it, is it out there? Did it? Joey end? Lawrence is in it. I know that much. Whoa, Joey exactly. Lawrence. Exactly. That's the one. Is Brad? Is he Brad? I have no idea what character he plays. I just know he's in it. I saw a clip. I don't know I, that the whole episode exists. I don't know what you could have done with this as an ongoing series, though. I mean, how would you sustain this week after week after week? Like the Babysitter Diaries. Like every weekend, you got to go babysit. You know, like maybe. That's a high bar, you know, a lot of activity you're going to have to have, a lot of adventures. So many adventures. 
It's like um, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Like, how could this dude really get himself into all this? Well, kind of shit? he's he's an adventurer, so that's what he does. <laughs> every Here, weekend, like, how much Chris, babysitting are these people doing? <laughs> every weekend, Chris has a new friend who goes <laughs> to that bus stop and is like, ah, "I don't know what to do." <laughs> what are these parents doing on all these weekends that they need this much babysitting? Yeah. Um, maybe it's more like an anthology like it's a maybe it's not the same babysitter but it's just another there's another babysitter who's got i I think you should pitch that i think Uh think this idea will live on (laughs) yeah let's not do it (laughs) uh okay so it ends up getting a remake for the disney channel in 2016 what yeah yeah that's real yep that happened make don't accidentally select that one if you are trying to watch the one from 1987 uh, after take. you listen to this podcast because you're so jazzed to check it out. Right. So, uh, I, don't I don't know. I feel like, you know, with all the reboots and remakes and sequels <clears throat> and even prequels that are made now, I feel like this is ripe for a sequel. I feel like you could... <sighs> The more adventures in babies, the further adventures in babysitting. Chris is the grandmother now, right? Right. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the, the similar things happen, but with her as the veteran uh, grandmother who would n- naturally be the babysitter, right? Just think of the MCU tie-ins now with oh, all the... Oh, my God. Huh. There's, yeah, there's, there's so much you could do. I don't know. Sometimes it's better to just leave things alone, you know, like, well, of course, keep them but, wanting more, but I feel like there, there's, I feel like there's a story there. I feel like the Chris's story hasn't been fully told. Oh the world God. needs to see. It. <laughs> we need to see what happened to her and Dan. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Dan. We didn't you even would, mention would, Dan. People are like, didn't. who's Dan? Uh, George Newburn. Is that mm-hmm. the actor? George Newbern. Yeah. Who uh, probably the, best known from Father of the Bride, right? Exactly. Father of the Bride is, uh, is the big one. But I remember him, yeah, another actor who was kind of all over TV. I think he did a, something with Elizabeth Shue uh, on TV right before this. So they had known each other. Huh. Um, but always like a friendly, kind yeah. presence. So I think that was really good. Really solid casting. Yes. Yes. I can and remember. he's like... 30 <laughs> he is yeah. unfortunately that's the typical thing is uh male actors being older than the female actors who are no, also he, playing younger you he's know. a he's actually about her he was they were born in the same year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually no yeah he's 23 when this movie comes out so i guess he's yeah, two years so, younger than her it doesn't but, matter uh, yeah. But like, but the thing is, it really does come down to wardrobe because like you can buy like her in that same outfit if they said she's a college student. It's like, yeah. yeah, she totally looks like a college student. Yeah. But then like he's in a college party and he definitely looks they put him in the the blazer, right? Doesn't he have the yeah. blazer? The classic yeah. Oh, yeah. blazer that you need. Yeah. Let, yep. Let's they dress her definitely like she's wearing mom clothes. Uh she's in a friggin' like yeah. She's wearing mom clothes. She's driving a, a the station wagon. raincoat. She's yeah. driving the state, the wood paneled station wagon, which is 
Probably the super best dope, car that by the came way. Yeah, the we, that's the reconsideration mobile. We need to definitely get one of those for the uh, for sure the world tour. Yeah, when we do the the live shows, when we do the road trip, yep, that is what we are driving. That's right. It's it's really weird that there's a the Swedish version of the the poster of this it yeah. has George Newburn's character hanging on, to, hanging like he's leading, yeah. like he's holding on to her, and yeah. uh, and the what's her face, the little girl isn't on the poster, <laughs> like, right? That's, like that's the crazy. Drew Struzan poster that that everybody would probably recognize from this with the whole yeah. gang climbing the side of the building, uh, a la like. Batman, like Burt Ward, and and you know, like totally different. Totally, they like remocked it up, and I don't even understand why they did that. Well, it's uh, like you get they they want to play up a romantic night, right? Yeah. So she, oh, she she's got a boyfriend, or it's about this couple. Which, by the way, that kiss at the end where they finally, you know, he ends up after they get home, she gets the kids home safely, and the parents get home, and she leaves for the night, and and he he stalks her back to the house. Yeah, he stalks. Like, and they have that kiss. Why? I mean, just a very critical note. Why is it not snowing? Why is it not snowing in that shot? I don't know if it's wintertime. Because it's spring, John. You're you're clinging to this. Now I now I think it was sunny and like no, it was 80 night. degrees. It was nighttime. <laughs> like, and she's still wearing that coat, you know, so it's cold. Come on, just have a little snow. It makes it more romantic. I think this has got to be now. Now you're making me want to go back to this. Is it a winter? I think this is like it's fall. fall. It's I mean, got to I mean, be fall. I feel it's, like there's it's no pre. It's on pre. Show. Yeah, it's pre first snow. I don't know. Not in, not unless there's snow in that first scene. Scene which we remembered it's, differently now. We're putting it freaking, in our heads. It's freaking Chicago in the winter. Like there's no snow anywhere. Even There's if never been a brain t- twister like Adventures in Babysitting. I, this is worse than The Sixth Sense, man. Did M. Night do this or what? <laughs> um, all right. Until we confirm that, uh, it's TBD. But uh, you mentioned Drew Struzan in the poster. Yeah. Oh, no. There's. there's That's Home Alone. The researchers are getting back to us with. When some... he pulls up in the Corvette to her house and break off the date, there's snow on the grass. No, right? There I was snow. right. So there is snow for sure. It's not a fall movie. It's it's somewhere November, maybe January. Between yeah, it's between. I was wrong about December. It's perfectly January tenth, right? I mean, perfectly. It's post New Year's. Is it a New Year's party they went to? I don't know. There's no Christmas day. But like, why you wouldn't have a company party? It was just a company party. but when, like, when who you, has when, a company party after Christmas? It's got to be. So it's got to be like November. It's like, got to be before what? Christmas. What is it? A Thanksgiving? No, it's not Thanksgiving. It's just a what? party, you know, maybe. But quarterly. there's not a single decoration in that party that says. No, there's no, there's no decoration. That's it. They, this movie gets a zero. Forget it. It's over. <laughs> this is the worst not non-Christmas movie ever. And it Get came Chris out in Columbus July. On the phone. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's Anyway, yeah, I, the, the poster, though, yeah. I am a huge Drew Struzan fan. And yeah. this is one of, I think this is one of his greatest posters. It's part of what I love about Struzan and, and his artwork is he really captures the tone of the movie. Big Trouble in Little China 
is one of the better examples. Back to the Future is a great example. The Thing is a great example. This movie is a great example that it captures that, you know, adventure, right? And fun. Like they're, they're climbing, but they've all got, you know, she's got kind of a smirk on her face. The detail work is great. You know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of detail in his paintings. Um, this is just, it, it's, it's, uh, I think one of the, I would say the, you see the poster floating around in your eighties nostalgia stuff more often than you hear people talking about the movie itself. So the poster, I think, has like, in a way, a longer life than the actual movie itself does. I mean, I feel like if people see the po- people recognize the poster probably more than they recognize the title of the movie. Is that what exactly? You're yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. And uh, I don't know. I'm just a big Struzan fan, and I think this yeah. is uh, the perfect huge. poster for this movie. Struzan fan. He did. Uh, limited edition poster for a movie that i worked on once and it's awesome i'll have to bust it out sometime so you guys can take a look at it yeah yeah i'd love to see his take on shark tale no <laughs> how to train your dragon 2 buddy come on Ooh, man. He well did. he doesn't do much anymore i only so did the best struzan doesn't really do that much anymore so getting him you know i think he does does a lot of uh sort of specialty work and assignments and for yeah, a while I mean, he was just doing lucas stuff yeah, he was pretty much retired even when he came on to to help us with that poster. You know, like yeah. he wasn't doing a whole lot. It took um it took a lot to to get what we got from him just because uh, I think he was also having some health issues at the time in yeah. that in that particular like window. But mm. yeah, man, it's cool. Like we uh he did end up doing a poster for the, for the movie. That's like limited edition. I think they released it at Comic-Con, but everybody on the crew got like a small batch, like numbered version of the poster. It's pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah. If you follow Struzan on social media, like he posts pretty regularly and he'll post a lot of artwork that for, for all of his old stuff of unfinished things, you know, partially finished. Like this was how this was like, my first pitch of this poster. This is just like this portion of it, um, kind of work in progress kind of stuff. It's really, if you're a Struzan fan, he's he's a fun follow because he just shows a lot of the making of stuff. Yeah, and for anybody who doesn't know who Drew Struzan is, think of the most iconic 80s movie posters you can in your head for whatever movie. And he's the guy who did it. Like, <laughs> like that's pretty much... I mean, that's the best way to to, yeah. to, to say. It. I mean, any like, of those look... '80s hand-drawn looking posters are usually Drew Struzan. There was a handful of other great artists who did that similar kind of look, but he is a very distinct one, um, and he did a tremendous amount of Harrison Ford movies. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, Harrison's the guy he's drawn the most in his career, possibly. Uh, and also the the skyline in the in that poster though it's it's not his doing I'm sure it's it's all about you know, it's a composite of, of everything it doesn't look like mm-hmm. nothing is oriented the way it is oriented on uh, the poster itself but it's a great I mean it frames the uh, characters really well yeah yeah I I get it I'm not I, it's not a commentary of like but it's just like whatever we got to make it look like who cares <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, Chicago doesn't like uh, look anything like that. It's kind of neat. But all those things are real. So anyway. Yeah. 
Anywho. Uh, should we talk a little box office glory? We'll see how this one did. Sure. Let's dive in. All right. Adventures in babysitting. You know, I could not find actually what the budget was, but I'm guessing it's probably in the 10 to 15 million zone. You know, you don't have a lot of heavyweight dollar wise, heavyweight, you know, cast involved. You have a first time director. Yeah. So probably, uh, well, I hard to say about what they would spend on locations, but a lot of locations. So, um, the movie comes out July 3rd, 1987, has a 4.2 million opening weekend. It debuted at, any guesses? Third. Third, David's got third. Brent, any, any I'm, care to guess? I don't know. Again, 87, good year for movies. Yep. Uh, so. One of the best. Um, I don't know, we'll say what did you say, David? Two? Third? I'll go two. Uh, debut do, number nine. Is right. De- uh, <laughs> debut number nine. Uh, uh, against, number nine? Yeah. Came out against Space. Holy um, Jesus. And it, uh, it debuted between Roxanne, which was in its, I think, third week, and Benji the Hunted, uh, which is also had been out for a few weeks. So Saw all those at the theater. Yeah. I saw Benji. I did not see Roxanne. Yeah. Or inter- no, did I see Inner Space? No, no, I Inner Space. Yeah, I, I didn't see it in the theater. Um, so yeah, not a not a really strong start, but still uh, ends up doing okay. It ends up with a thirty three point seven million dollar domestic run. So I would guess again, hard to say, but I would guess it made its money back and did you know was was considered a hit. Uh, it did total out at number thirty four of nineteen eighty seven right between two movies we will cover at some point like father like son and batteries not included mm. saw both those at the theater <laughs> uh same with me i saw both. i dude i'm telling you i lived at the theater in 87 had to be i would have been in fourth grade that's when i made the decision in my fourth grade mind that i wanted to work in film so i think it must co- that there there's got to be a reason that, that yeah. syncs up yeah uh, so you get some family movies look like they're all hitting kind of uh, in that zone uh, in 87. So, um, of course, number one of the year, 1987, we covered. You can hear it in the archives at reconsideration.com. That's three men and a baby. Saw that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So what, what do you think now, looking back at it, what do you think this movie's uh, legacy is? Where, where do you think when when people think about it what what is where does it stand uh i'm gonna say it's mostly forgotten like i don't you know like i that's as far as legacy is concerned like i don't think this is one that like really is on anybody's radar so much except for those that may have seen it who get nostalgic sometimes flipping through disney's streamers uh browse menu and and things like that um i will say when i first got the disney streamer uh when it first released this was on there and i was like hell yeah i'm gonna watch it and i went to watch it and you couldn't which was a weird thing that disney did when they first provide when they first opened uh or, or started selling their subscription is that they loaded up their their like 
titles, but uh-huh. not all of them were were available. They only they had a very uh-huh. few that were available, but they wanted you to feel like they had a bunch of stuff for you to watch. And it was so always those, like coming soon. Yeah. Uh, so the licenses hadn't expired, but they're like, we exactly. all, you'll have it eventually. Yeah. yeah. Well, now that was what, two, three years ago. Now About they're three. Yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. They're, 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 yeah, it's all, good. I think it's all there now, but <laughs> yep. like at first yeah. it was, it was a thing. Um, going back to this though. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it's mostly forgotten. I don't feel like it's talked about. I feel like there was the, the remake or whatever in 2016, which I don't think was very well received. And that's not talked about. I don't think people even knew that this one existed I, when that I one I didn't even up. know that new one came out. Well, I think that's a, I think it's a Disney channel. It was movie. Disney channel. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as far that's as remaking it, but yeah, limited audience. Yeah. But, oh, I see. Oh boy. What, look at all the adventures that new generations having. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I think this one lives on in we who grew up in the eighties. You know that that's who's carrying the torch for this one still, and and probably showing it to our kids and our families. But I think that's kind of where its life will kind of be. I think you know beyond that, I I agree. I don't think audience is really seeking it out. I mean, if you want a lighthearted, if you're looking for a lighthearted kind of fun movie this is it you know i mean it's great yeah Yeah. it's still a lot of fun i like i i was i really enjoyed re-watching it and i feel like i would totally have my kids watch this but i also feel like they might respond the same way that they did to goonies and be like what the hell are you making me watch yeah yeah it's hard to tell but but it's it's a good one to try out with the family i would still recommend it for that definitely and it's you know it's it's is it is it dated you know with its 80s-ness for sure but that's also part of its charm yeah, yeah. other than uh you know some problematic uh homophobia slur uh being yeah. tossed around yes you but know, again you don't hear that if you if you watch it on you disney won't Plus. hear that on the disney right. so you'll, you'll nope. you have your clean version you have your clean so you don't have to have an uncomfortable talk with your children yeah or um, Chris Columbus uh, yeah. as a, as a director. Yeah. Th- this is up there. You know, he, he went on to do, have great success throughout his, his career. I mean, he would, I, I kind of, I'm fascinated with the story of him just two years later going on to do national lampoons, Christmas vacation, getting fired from that. And as a make good, he gets home alone. Right. So, yeah. uh, and then Harry what Potter is- later on, and he's got lots of uh, the, the first two Harry Potters and, um, but we haven't seen, we really haven't seen much of, uh, I guess we just did see him recently with um, the Kurt Russell Santa classic. Claus movie? Yeah, the... Uh, the Christmas Chronicles? Christmas Chronicles 2. Oh, so the new one. Yeah. That's coming out. Columbus, Russell, Legends, together, Han, they're all there. He did Pixels, which... Oh yeah, and I, Pixels, right? I think is way underrated. I have not seen it actually. Did uh, what did Chevy get him fired off the lame uh, of Christmas? Chevy vacation? would not work with him supposedly. So, um, so like, uh, how else would he get fired from a? So a... John Hughes, who was producing the movie, let mm-hmm. him go and said, "Look, I've got this other project. I think it'd be great for you. You should do this one, and we'll still be friends." <laughs> uh, and that was Home Alone. So it all worked out, but. 
Oh, Mrs. Doubtfire, another yeah. great family. Oh, yeah. yeah. Huge no. movies. I mean, he was a big director after this. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, he did the ill-fated Percy Jackson movie. Unfortunately, true, that true. that didn't that didn't catch fire the same way that Harry Potter or yeah. But you know, he's trying to trying to stick with what worked. You know, kind of the Harry Potter kind of world. Now he's back doing the Christmas movies, which which uh, have clearly worked for him. Um, debatable if Adventures in Babysitting is one of those, but. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I think if you're a fan of Chris Columbus, like definitely you should be watching this movie. Yeah. 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 Especially for a first time director, like, and this is, you know, this was, I think it worked out how he wanted it to, you know, you're making a family film, a story, you know, for what it is, it works. Um, So I think just a a big success for him here. I think he produces more now than directs anyway. Yeah, exactly. I, I know the last thing he, well, one of the last things he did was Christmas Chronicles part two, but he produced the first part of that as well. So it's yeah. not like he just right. came in as a, you know, uh, he, he'd been a part of that project for a while. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I had a great time looking back at this one. It had been a long time since I'd seen it. Uh, fun times and fun times are ahead as we roll towards the holiday season and uh we've got a very special one coming at you and uh, after that we won't get into detail but we just set up the the uh lineup for 2023 and i have to say i'm very excited there's a lot in there uh that are going to be new to me actually so yeah we, we're, we're trying to get a little more um off the beaten path and movies that really uh are not uh are not looked at as much, but uh, so I'm excited for that. So we've got a, a fun time coming up here at Reconcinimation. Um, quit, you know, check us out on social media. We're Reconcinimation Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and and check out our archives at reconcinimation.com. Give us a five star rating and review. Why not? It doesn't hurt anybody, and it, in fact, it only helps the show get get more uh, more views and listens. So uh, if you can, that'd be great. Uh, quick. Thank you to our friends Curtis Moore for the poster. He had a lot to keep up with. Uh, Curtis, this time, he's competing with Drew Struzan, so <laughs> get his work cut out for him. Uh, he's, uh, he's the new Drew. He's the new Drew. Uh, and uh, as always, our friend E.K. Wimmer, listen to his podcast, Laser Graves, and uh, thank you for the, the theme music as usual. And uh, any thoughts, any final thoughts on adventures in babysitting, guys? Don't fuck with the babysitter. Nothing else to say after that. (laughs) All right. Well, get ready for the holidays. We will see you next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Don't fuck with the podcast. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Zing. I was planning to use that all night. (laughs) Took the wind out of it there. It's all good. Sorry, dude. (laughs) I didn't know if it was going to work anyway. Hi. Um, my name's Chris Parker.
I live in Oak Park. That's a suburb. They probably figured that out. <laughs> this is Brad, Sarah, and Daryl. And we're in trouble. A no doubt. See me and my boyfriend, Mike. Tonight's our anniversary. But then he went and canceled. And now I'm stuck watching these three. And it's so hard. And it's so hard. Babysitting these guys. She got the... I got this call from Brenda. I went to pick her up. The tire had a blowout, and my mom's car got shot up. And these guys started to chase us. And we all got hijacked. <laughs> We're cruising down the highway. This big old Cadillac, and it's so hard. It's so hard. Babysitting these guys. She got the baby. get us and Brenda's probably dead we ain't got a nickel and they should be in bed and you out of luck out of luck watching these guys I've got the And the girl's probably dead She ain't got a nickel And we should be in bed You out of luck Out of luck Watching these guys I've got 